Welcome to the August episode of ONP Rising, an original podcast series produced by the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists. I'm Jonah Reimer, a certified orthotist prosthetist at Ability Autobot Care in York, Pennsylvania. With me today is Kristen Carnahan, CPO, Fellow of the Academy, seasoned clinician, and educator. As an active member of the profession, Kristen has experience interacting with students, residents, and clinicians while wearing a variety of hats. During her career, she has navigated challenging encounters and has learned to find balance in choosing to respond in a way that will lead to healthy outcomes. Welcome to the podcast, Kristen. Thank you, Jonah. I'm really happy to be here talking with you today. I'm excited to have you join me today to discuss navigating the impact of challenging encounters. Students, residents, and clinicians encounter challenges when dealing with the emotions involved navigating encounters with patients or colleagues. We can take many reps when faced with such situations, but only a few will lead to a successful outcome. Given your tenure in the profession, I'm excited to discuss your experience with challenging encounters how you choose to navigate them, and the results achieved. I was honored to learn from you from an educational standpoint, so now I am excited to have some discussion with you about these encounters now that I've had a few years under my belt and get to really dig into some of the deeper questions that I didn't know to ask way back when. Yeah, many challenging encounters from patients to clinical, even uh, working with different people in the office. So. I think patients are a great way to get this going because we all know those are very difficult to deal with from time to time. So to get the ball rolling, uh, do you have a specific example where you know you had some challenges with a patient? Well, I've had a lot of interesting and, and we'll say challenging encounters over the years with many different patients for many different reasons. Um, you've probably experienced some of those already, some similar things in your career. And I'll start out with just acknowledging that when we work with patients, these are people that we are working with. They have lives that we don't know everything about, just like we have lives that they don't know everything about. And we are encountering them for a very brief time initially. And in some cases, we do see them for a long period of time, maybe the remainder of their life uh, and maybe many times. And so we get to know them to varying degrees. But the reality is that usually they are in a really rough place uh, when we meet them and when we first start working with them. They've had something happen to them that leads them to need our care and our services. And sometimes they're excited to see us, and sometimes they're a little bit down about it, not necessarily happy to need what it is that we provide. And the spectrum is really wide in terms of, you know, emotionally where our patients are. And so that can affect us emotionally as we interact with them, and especially as we interact with many of them over a given day or week. Yeah, I definitely know that initial encounter, whether it's their first amputation, the second amputation, a revision. I've had many conversations with these patients at the beginning, and each one of them approaches that conversation very uniquely, I would say. I would definitely say the more challenging ones to approach are the ones that are taking that amputation harder or maybe have a state of depression following a instance like that. What's your experience in dealing with that depression? 
Yeah. Well, it's really hard to know if somebody is depressed or not, but we can certainly see the way that they interact with us. And one of those things that we can sometimes sense or see is anger or frustration. And that can be really hard because we're there to provide something positive, hopefully, as a result of this situation. But we're kind of caught in the midst of those emotions that the patient is experiencing. I do have a, an experience that I remember really well. There's a gentleman that I went to see while he was uh, recovering from amputation and I provided, first thing was a, a shrinker sock, I remember, and he wasn't really pleased to see me. He was a little confused about why I was there. He had a lot of questions. He was kind of grumpy. He wasn't really grateful for anything I was doing or even just some of the encouragement I was trying to provide. Fast forward a little bit, this gentleman came into the office after a few encounters uh, outside of the office, and we had built up a little bit of trust. So he started to realize that the role that I was going to play and our relationship got better and his attitude around me improved. But what I learned is that he was interacting in a way that expressed a lot of anger towards our front office staff over the phone as well as in person. And that really was upsetting, of course. So, it, you know, the reality was that this person had some feelings that needed to be processed and unfortunately was choosing to kind of let that out either first to me and then to some of my colleagues. And so because we had built up some trust, I was able to speak with him and just say, look, I can only imagine what you're going through. I don't know what it's like. I imagine it's very, very hard for you right now but it's really not acceptable for you to be acting this way and speaking this way towards our office staff. And so I just need you to know that everybody here is wanting to help you, myself included, but especially our, our staff in the office. And they're going to do everything they can to try to make this situation better for you in the extent of our scope. And I was actually really surprised that he apologized both to me and to them uh, he acknowledged that he was really going through a hard time and struggling to deal with all that was happening, and his behavior improved. And so it just took kind of a respectful acknowledgement, I think, of what was going on to bring his awareness to the fact that, like, this really isn't how we should be treating one another. Absolutely incredible way to handle that situation. And sometimes I don't think these patients necessarily know that their anger is being put on the clinical staff or... Uh, even the admin staff until it's brought to their forefront. And then they trust you in bringing that to their attention as well. It certainly helped me in having those maybe more challenging discussions with the patient sooner rather than later before it maybe gets out of control. That's a great point, Jonah. Yeah, building some rapport early on and establishing kind of how we relate to one another is really helpful. And as you know, we start to really build some relationships with our patients, and hopefully that develops in a healthy way. I'll kind of bring up another way that patients sometimes respond is in a different way other than anger is sadness and just really struggling a lot with accepting everything that's happening. And even if they aren't sad, sometimes just hearing about their circumstances and what's going on in addition to even uh, maybe their amputation or accident uh, that has occurred, it can be a lot for us to hear about. 
and take on. You know, we talk about needing to have empathy for our patients. And sometimes what we hear about and learn about in their lives kind of goes beyond the scope of our practice and what we can impact by providing the things that we do. And so, you know, I've definitely had experiences where those encounters of being a little bit overwhelmed myself with what my patients are going through can build up. And I have a really distinct memory of a week when I was in practice where it was just one thing after another, one patient after another that really got to me, you know, and I really kind of started to bear all of these sad life situations. And I got to the end of the week and I just found that it was really hard for me to focus and be present in my own life and with my own relationships because I was so overwhelmed with all of theirs. And um, I reached out to a friend of mine who also works in healthcare, has worked many, many years with patients who have spinal cord injuries. And I asked her, I said, how do you do this day after day? And, you know, how do you bear it? Just the sadness of it all. And she said, you know, Kristen, what we have to do as providers is focus on the positive impact that we can have in our patient lives and things that we can influence and just celebrate that. Be excited about it and acknowledge it. Hopefully those patients acknowledge it as well. And it's not that we don't want to acknowledge or be aware of all the other things that we can't control for them. But unfortunately, if we try to bear all of that, we simply can't. It's just not something that we are capable of. So I know you mentioned that you started noticing where it was starting to weigh heavy on you, and that's when you started reaching out for help. Has it ever been brought to your attention by maybe a fellow coworker that, hey, you've seemed a little off over the last week or the last month, what's going on, and then to really dig in? Because I feel like a lot of times you're in the midst of these appointments with patients and you're not necessarily self-aware of how it's impacting you personally? That's a really great question. You know, I haven't really had colleagues come up to me and sort of point out that I seem to be behaving differently, but I will say I've had friends and family notice. You know, I might be a little short on the phone or slow to respond because I'm just kind of bogged down at work. And certainly, you know, our work is really important and it can be quite busy, but it isn't necessarily worth kind of ignoring the other things and, and particularly people in our lives. And so I'm grateful for the people that have pointed out to me that, you know, hey, I'm here and, you know, I'm part of your life too. And, you know, just kind of called me out of the, the kind of depths of my little clinical world at the time where I was just sort of buried under a lot of stress. I don't think it's ever been brought to my attention, but I definitely notice when my processing or my interactions with coworkers start to become a little bit more short than I intend because I have all of these things in my head that I'm just trying to work through with my patient, whether it was a challenging patient because they were having difficulty with their amputation or because their alignment just isn't quite where they want it to be. And I have that at the forefront of my mind. So I think that brings us to another great point with our patient interactions is just trying to manage their expectations with a prosthesis or the capabilities or even some of maybe the limitations of a prosthesis compared to what they once had. Absolutely. You know, managing expectations is really critical 
in our day-to-day patient care. It also applies in the educational environment where I've spent many years now working with students. But kind of thinking back to clinical care and, and where you are now, absolutely. A patient is going to be happier with the care they receive if they have a reasonable expectation of what the outcome should be and could be. I think we certainly have some limitations in what we are able to do in terms of limb replacement when we're talking about prosthetics in particular. And unfortunately, as as advanced as some of the technology that we use is, it just isn't quite up to par with the original design of our bodies and what they were prior to amputation. And so helping patients understand the value and the the functionality that a prosthesis can provide is really important. And I think something that we sometimes forget to include when we're talking about expectations is not just what the components and the prosthesis itself is capable of, but kind of acknowledging with the patient and with the remainder of their care team what they are capable of. And that may not always be what they have in mind, unfortunately. We want to ensure that our patients achieve the maximum functionality that they can according to their own physical capabilities combined with the device that we provide them. And in some cases, their understanding of what they should be capable of might be a little bit skewed. And so sometimes that means involving a physician or a more often maybe a physical therapist to help the patient and their family really understand, okay, here's where we are now. Here's what we can expect in the short term. And then maybe here are some long-term expectations that we can work towards. And then managing those expectations moving forward, sort of bringing up on a regular basis, like how do you think you're doing and why? right? Some people might think they're not doing very well, but they're comparing themselves to a standard that isn't really achievable or reasonable for them. And so if we can kind of look back to, okay, well, let's look at where you were two months ago and compare that to where you are today and acknowledge the progress that you've made. And I think that's great to draw back into reevaluating and where outcome measures and all that kind of brings it back in. How are you progressing? And you can kind of show them meeting those expectations and uh, what where we would like to have them. I will say I have run into a few times just in my short time as a clinician where my hope for them or therapy's hope for them and where they want to get isn't necessarily where they want to be. Have you ever run into that and how do you navigate that situation? I have, absolutely. And, you know, it's each person kind of has to take ownership of their own goals, right? And so we can't set goals for them. We can certainly try to motivate. I think that's an important aspect of care that we can provide is encouraging people to think maybe a little bit beyond what they envision for themselves within reason, you know, as long as we understand that they maybe uh, may have that physical capability. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's up to them. And if they are really happy with achieving something that you believe isn't really the maximum potential for them, then good for them. And, you know, hopefully they're happy and you can help them meet that goal. And then there may be opportunities in the future to elevate that goal a little bit when they're ready. But yeah, that's really tough and, you know, something that it can be hard to accept. 
So we've talked a lot about patient interactions. I'm curious on your input just with challenges within the a clinic or even from an educational standpoint and working with other people. Do you have any thoughts on challenges experienced within a clinic or areas that we might struggle? Well, there are a lot of different clinical challenges we can encounter. That can be anything from trying to solve a particular problem related to a specific patient. It can be trying to manage the time that you have in a day and all of the different hats that you wear as a clinician and roles that you play. I would say that that's probably one of the bigger challenges is just the time and resource management that we have to learn as we develop um, as clinicians. So the the problem solving sort of comes with practice and, and time, and we can usually reach out to colleagues and, and receive some guidance or help with solving problems. But when it comes to potentially having resource challenges or they're just not being enough hours in the day, that stress is different and it's a little bit harder to manage. And so I would say one of the ways to help manage that or respond to it is to make sure that you have open communication with whoever is in charge of your schedule, if that's not you, um, and whoever's in charge of sort of your scope of responsibility. I can say that I had one experience in which I was completely overwhelmed, and the way that I was handling it was just working really, really late hours and often going in on the weekends as well to try to keep up. And at that time, I was very new clinician. I think I was actually still a resident in prosthetics. And I had this understanding that it was expected of me to fabricate everything myself. And that was an expectation early on in my residency. And I never really revisited that as I got busier and busier. And so I just assumed that this was going to be an expectation until further notice, right? And I didn't think to go back to my supervisors and ask if this was debatable. You know, I just thought I got to get through this. And actually that came to light when one day my boss came in and I was just finishing up trimming out a transfemoral socket and getting ready to see a patient and fit this prosthesis. Somehow it came up that I had been in really late that night working on the lamination. And he said, well, why were you here doing that? I said, well, I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. And uh, he said, well, I think it's time that we revisit that and maybe you sh you need to start writing work orders. This, is, this isn't really what we expect of you. And I was so relieved and I wish I had thought to actually bring it up myself, but it just took kind of getting to a breaking point almost and it becoming noticeable for thankfully for my boss to bring that up and provide a solution. That's a really unique situation, but there are other ways, you know, where we may just need to ask for more resources or, you know, some ideas for how to manage all the needs around us. Yeah, I do think it's a pretty common thing because as a new clinician, you you don't want to do the wrong thing. You don't want to make any mistakes. And so you're going to work as hard as you can to make sure that you are a contributing member of the team. And I think you yourself went above and beyond to show that you were being a true member of the team by staying late and getting your work done so that business could run as usual. I do think that is one of the big clinical challenges in my day today is just maybe 
the impact of the business side on top of the clinic side. So I had done a little digging and found something on the Academy post from uh, your profile, basically just talking about some of the larger challenges with the field. And it was uh, limitations with coverage as far as insurance coverage and then the heavy marketing impact in our profession. Do you want to touch on a little bit more on your thought process behind that? Well, yeah, I think we all bear a little bit of the stress or tension or frustration with the reimbursement and how that works in our profession. I can say that I have had many conversations just even recently with leaders in our profession, and there are efforts underway constantly from many different directions to address some of the challenges that we do encounter. And, and we're starting to talk about some more long-term planning and maybe providing some different solutions and directions for that in the future. But just kind of going back to the impact that that has on us as individual clinicians and particularly on younger clinicians as you're sort of taking all of this in, it can be really hard. And I think that we have to go back to quite frequently in the OMP profession, what we love about it and really just kind of remind ourselves and remind each other the joy that we find in providing care to our patients and providing solutions to their problems and seeing them move from angry or sad to happy and excited um, and proud of themselves even. Those things do happen. And so those are the moments, even if they don't happen every single day, and I hope that they do, but those are the moments that we should really reflect back on and that can pull us through when things seem hard. So for example, just heavy workload is certainly something that we all struggle with. And then just the added knowledge about reimbursement being a challenge. That's one of the reasons that we all have a heavy workload because OMP practices have to run on very tight margins. And it's not that, you know, we're working for people who are unreasonable in every single case, but the business just, it has to be efficient and we don't have really, really large profit margins like maybe there may have been uh, many years ago or starting to get squeezed a bit more in that area. And so I would say try to focus on the things that you can control, get involved, start to try to ask who is working on these problems and what are they doing and can you help? It's a little difficult when you're really early in your career and you have a lot to learn and you know you aren't quite as efficient in your patient care yet to take on extra things but you know I, I certainly have been encouraged seeing many many younger clinicians getting very involved in um, academy societies and presenting at the academy and sharing what they're doing getting involved in collecting data and presenting research all of these things are contributing to the positive aspects of our profession and what we can do ultimately to hopefully in the future impact that sort of overhanging challenge of what the reimbursement structure looks like today. Thank you for sharing all that. That certainly applies to everybody. So at the end of the day, we've talked about a lot of different issues and encounters and challenges that we face. So what happens if we aren't taking care of these 
things that are in our forefront and what happens to us as individuals, as clinicians and early in our career if we don't manage it? Well, this is a great question. I'm glad that you asked. So I would say there are a couple of things that can happen. One is that we start to look for a release, right? You know, you get to the end of the day, you've had enough, you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed, and um, and you're looking for some way to relieve that stress. And there are healthy and unhealthy ways to respond to that feeling at the end of the day. I can say I've, you know, unfortunately had times where I was responding in unhealthy ways. You know, I would want to go home and, and have a drink and just chill. And I'm not saying that's a bad idea, but it can become a bad habit that isn't really, you know, leading us in a good direction. And so I would say, think about how you're responding to the emotional drain and even physical drain that you may experience on a daily basis and try to consider what are some healthy ways to respond to that. You know, I know a lot of people love to go for a run after work, go work out. I can say for sure I've had days when as much as I absolutely love exercising, I do not feel like it at the end of the day. So, um, you know, what are some other things we can do? Maybe, you know, have uh, plan to spend time with someone that you care about and cares about you, have a conversation, kind of share a little bit of that stress from the day and get some encouragement, you know, um, look to people who are going to speak into that in a positive way. If we don't really deal with things in a healthy way, it can lead to something like burnout or depression. You know, you asked about uh, depression of our patients earlier. We can certainly experience that too as clinicians. And burnout is a really specific result of being overworked and overstressed, and it, it essentially leads to disconnect. It's sort of this apathetic, I don't really care about what I'm doing anymore. I don't want to be here. I don't like what I'm doing. You know, that's really what burnout is. So do a lot of us experience high stress and do we feel overworked at times? Absolutely. Does that mean you're necessarily experiencing burnout? Not necessarily. You know, burnout is something that is is really specific. I would encourage you to look up kind of what the definition is. It's provided by the World Health Organization. And as long as you can look back, like we were talking about earlier, and think about and find those positive aspects of why you're there, why you're in this profession and what you love about it, I think that really helps prevent uh, you and me from getting to a point of burnout where we really just don't care anymore. Yeah, it certainly is a battle that we have to make sure we stay on top of and not let it beat us down. But yes, thanks again for all of your input, Kristen. It was a pleasure speaking with you and kind of getting your insight in on this topic. Thank you, Jonah. Really great talking to you today. And thanks to everyone for listening to this episode of ONP Rising. Join us each month as we continue our conversation with seasoned ONP professionals as they share candid insights on topics relevant to those interested in starting on the right foot when it comes to a career in ONP. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And don't forget to check out the Academy's other podcast for ONP professionals the award-winning ONP Research Insights with Dr. Steve Gard and ONP Clinical Insiders with Academy Scientific Society's Chair, Seth O'Brien. 
a podcast created for conversations on specific areas of clinical care. For more information on the American Academy of Orthotists and Prosthetists, visit us online at onp.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.